what it is. How you doing? Was the turkey good? Was the community good? Didn't get any family fights going, did you, during Thanksgiving? I hope not. No? Well, I am glad that you came back on a Sunday morning after Thanksgiving. I don't know what it is. It's sort of this... Uh, you get yourself in a slow-down mode, you enjoy the Thanksgiving day, the turkey, the football games. That was a great Michigan-Ohio State game yesterday. Uh, I'm from the Midwest, so you have to understand I'm a Big Ten kind of guy. And um, the uh, just sort of uh, trying to transition into the idea that you're going to go back to work tomorrow, but this Sunday seems to be a little bit of a, I don't want to say a hangover day, but it's a little bit of a Oh, yeah, okay, here we are. So, my hope and my goal today is to catch you maybe a little bit on the downswing, but to bring you on an upswing, because today is a special day. Today is the first day of the Advent season. Do you celebrate Advent? Some of you come out of maybe more traditional kind of churches, maybe not, but Advent are the four weeks leading up to Christmas. The Advent means the coming, the coming event, and the coming event that we celebrate this month and we uh, not just commemorate, but we anticipate is the birth of Christ, but it's Christ himself, and this needs to be a month not consumed with consumerism but consumed with a heart of anticipation. A heart of anticipation concerning all that Jesus Christ wants to do in your life for this season. So when you see the lights, and maybe you got your lights put up, maybe your neighbors got them put up, whatever it may be, when you anticipate some of the shopping, some of the other kinds of instrumental things a part of it, do not lose sight of this spirit of anticipation. And the spirit of anticipation needs to build in us from one week of Advent to the next until we do come together for Christmas Eve service. And Christmas Eve service, and part of that's with candle lights, that kind of thing, it's calming ourselves down because of the entrance of Christ into the world, though on that Christmas Eve they knew not what was fully going to happen, right? And so what we do with the Advent season is we sort of recapture some of the wonder with the anticipation and right-size our spiritual interior life concerning the ultimate reality, which is not us, but Him. And so maybe you're on a little bit of a downswing. Maybe today can be helpful for launching a beautiful Advent season in your life. Now, when I was thinking about how do we really launch sort of an Advent season... I was taken back to thinking about where the nation of Israel was at the time before Christ came 2,000 years ago. They were Jewish people. They were Hebrew people who had anticipated what was prophesied as a coming Messiah, but they knew not when, they knew not how. But that anticipation was uh, portrayed in different cultural customs that they had, like the Passover, anticipating that the, the one who would save them, the one who would set the wrongs right in the world, would, would, come, would come someday as promised by the prophets. And so there was the spirit of expectation, but it had been so many hundreds of years since some of those prophecies happened that they'd sort of become dulled to it. But yet the faithful were still there anticipating anticipating the coming of a Messiah. The coming of the Messiah who would set the wrongs right. That anticipation they have, we don't have. Why? Because Jesus already came. The Messiah came. We, we know the story, right? God sent His Son, and, and uh, that Son lived a sinless life, and then He was persecuted. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. That's why we celebrate worship on Sunday, because it was the first day of the week. Christ rose from the grave. That's why you're here, right? And that's, uh, that's all Easter, Carrie. We're talking about Christmas now, right? Well, no, it's this idea that there was an anticipation of a Messiah who came, 
came, but we don't have that same anticipation because we look back on the Messiah who came. So how do we build an anticipation for what needs to be in our hearts concerning the Advent season for moving forward and not get consumed with commercialism and all the antics that happen to be surrounded? How How do we have that heart of anticipation this Advent season? Well, that's where I want to park for a little bit this morning. Because I think that spirit of anticipation they had for the coming of the Messiah, the Advent, the first Advent, is the kind of anticipation we should have concerning the second Advent, the second coming of Christ. Because when he died, rose from the grave, ascended to the heavens, sent his Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to come back in the same manner as you've seen me go. It was recorded there in Acts. So could it be? Could it be that this Advent season, some of the way for us to dial and tap into a spirit of expectancy that we need to have, has to do with anticipating the second coming, the second Advent, the return of Jesus Christ. And Scripture references an event that's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back the second time the second advent will bring about an event called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so I just want to talk to us briefly this morning about anticipating Advent. Yes, the Advent we celebrate for Christmas, but anticipating the Advent, the second Advent of Christ coming, and you and I having the opportunity to sit around the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of you ever heard the term, the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's just sort of a strange kind of term. We're going to unpack that. But uh, there's different kinds of pictures that have been uh, articulated concerning this big uh, banquet, this big feast that will happen when Christ comes back. That we have the opportunity, if we're Christ followers and believers and worshipers of Him, to be a part of. And as I sat around our Thanksgiving table this week, and there was 10 of us. It was an incredible meal. I, my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law are here, and I had my niece up and my wife and my kids. I was, it was a nice full table of 10 people. And I'd show you the picture, but I, I didn't get their permission fully. Uh, so it's the idea that when we sat down at that Thanksgiving table, just like you did with family and friends, there was an anticipation of a great meal. But there was also the anticipation of good community and richness. There's anticipation that comes that's around a meal sometimes that you can't get in other kinds of ways. And this anticipation we sort of carried through and built for that Thanksgiving meal. And, you know, you got some meals and some other Thanksgiving parties, and the women are probably excited about their Saturday. I don't know why we men don't have a Thanksgiving thing. I I mean, a Christmas party. But it's, it's this idea that there's an event happening, and there's going to be energy at it. And there's going to be rich community. And there's going to be good food. And there's going to be fellowship. But the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's sort of a strange term, is is not just those incredible things. It's that the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world will be the prominent guest. And he will be the bridegroom. And we, who are the followers of Jesus, will be his bride. And the imagery of a wedding, the imagery of a marriage is rich and carried through scriptures that helps us try to capture some of the awe and the wonder of that which stands before us, just like they were anticipating in their day 2,000 years ago, the coming of Jesus Christ. We anticipate the second coming of Jesus Christ, and there should be a sense of wonder and awe and anticipation and hope and longing that fills our hearts. As we celebrate Jesus this Christmas season. So don't get dulled in your faith. Even though we stand what's called between the times, our hearts should be filled with hope and longing and joy, anticipating Advent. Is that anywhere a part of your life? Or are you just going to go through the motions like so easy it is for us to do so this time? Of year. 
I'm glad this time is not like last year this time. Do you remember last year this time? We were shut down last year this time. There was a strong increase on the COVID front. We had no Christmas Eve service last year except for what we did on video out of our home for 20, 30 minutes. We get to celebrate Advent and we get to do it with one another and we get to anticipate when we will sit around the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain. You ever been left off of an invitation list? Ever been left off of an invitation list that um, you really wanted to be on? Now, I know there's other kinds of lists that we get on, like spam list and email list, and you're like, how do I get off this list, right? Well, there is a list called the Lamb's Book of Life that you want to be on that invitation list. And in Revelation 19, it's pictured this marriage supper of the Lamb. And the idea that there is a list that you want to be on. And I'll just give you a heads up today. This is the most important list, invitation list, you can ever be found on. And if you do not know if you're on that invitation list today, then you need to do some serious checking it out and figuring it out in life. Because there is nothing. Uh, eternity will tell you. There is nothing more important than being on the invitation list for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's articulated in Revelation 19. Now, a lot's going on in the book of Revelation, which is talking about end times, yes, but it's also talking about uh, the character and the nature of the church, the, 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 the warfare that's going on. Uh, the uh, book of Revelation ends with the new Jerusalem and new heavens and a new earth, all it's a part of that. But in Revelation 19, it describes this event called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says this out of the ESV. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Now what's happening here is you're being dropped in to the vision of John concerning the revelation that was brought to him on the island of Patmos. And he is exhorted to write this stuff down and to articulate it for us. But what you have here is not something that he merely has seen, but it says what he has heard. I heard the voice of a great multitude. When you go into a wedding environment that has a lot of energy you are going to hear some great sounds. The sound of laughter, the sound of anticipation, the sound of maybe the clanging of, of the preparing of tables or the preparations that are around it. There is a volume of noise. Not an overwhelming sense, of, but a, a, it's a spirit of celebration as you step into it. And what John hears here is something that visually we can capture, but it's interesting that the voice all right, of a great multitude is what's first described. Like the roar of waters, the sound, right, of peals of thunder. Whoa! This is an exciting environment that he's being exposed to in the book of Revelation. So if we're going to anticipate the advent, the second advent, and help, hope it helps us, you know, commemorate the first advent, then you have to climb into the setting visually and audibly of what's happening. And you can also take some of the other senses, right? The sense of smell, that kind of thing. Put yourself in that environment. And John sees this transpire. He hears this transpiring before him. And what he hears is a crying out of hallelujahs. Now, sometimes we'll do the hallelujah shout here. I won't do it this morning, but hallelujah the only word that's the same in all languages of the world means praise the Lord. So it's only recorded here in um, this part of Revelation, in the whole book, I mean in, in the whole Bible. 
the word hallelujah, 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 right? And so it's the groundswell of noise that's happening from this, and it's thunders, and they're proclaiming the hallelujahs, the praises of the Lord God Almighty. And, and why, why the Lord? Well, He reigns. He means He's the top dog. He, he, he's over all things. He created all things. And this God Almighty reigns. And there's huge celebration that's going on with it. And John finds himself enthralled and caught up in what he hears, what he sees, what his spirit what his spirit is being awakened to that stands before him. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So here's this imagery. The marriage, the Lamb who was slain, Referring to Jesus, going back to the cross, that He shed His blood for the salvation of our sins and being able to set before us a hope of an eternal hope. And there's a coming together. That's what a marriage is, right? A coming together of the bride and the bridegroom. And this marriage is one for eternity. And the bride has been making herself ready for a good period of time. Any, any of you engaged in here and you got a wedding date that's sitting out there, right? What happens between, <laughs> what happens between now and that wedding date is you're making plans, preparations, not only for the wedding event itself, but how you're going to line your lives when you come together, how you're going to be able to be of support and encouragement and champion each other's life how you need to lay down your life and being able to uphold their life. There's a lot that's going on inside of you, psychologically, emotionally, sometimes even physically, related to the preparation for that wedding day. And it says here, the bride has made herself ready for this moment. And the bride's referring to us. The bride is the true followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're not a part of the bride and you're not on the list. And that's not good. That's why you need to check it out. But here there's this anticipation of this event. And the bride's made herself ready. It was granted her, the bride, to clothe herself with linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then, it says, the angel said to me, to John, write this. Write this. Write this. Blessed. Blessed. It's, 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 it's another, uh, one of the Beatitudes maybe sort of listed here that was started in Matthew. Here, here's another blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, those of you who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, who are on the list because you are part of the bride. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now, wh why did he say write this? Well, he said write this because it's pretty important. It's very important. And he said the true words of God. Why? Because you can be guaranteed it's going to happen. This is not wishful thinking, or maybe that's sort of an idea that some of those Christians have out there. No, the Word of God through this huge revelation to John, written in the book of Revelation, is given to you and I through written form so that we may know here 2,000 years later and that we may know for certain that this is going to happen. So there's no wishy-washy stuff here, hey, this or that, what? No, this is going to happen, this marriage supper of the Lamb. And you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we are blessed. Have you had a crappy week? I know Thanksgiving sort of glossed it over, but things haven't been going well. Maybe Thanksgiving actually accentuated some of your discouragement in life because there's brokenness in your family or there's loss in your family or maybe loved ones aren't around that used to be around that Thanksgiving table. 
Maybe there's discouragement that's come your way because of something on the job front or through a relationship or maybe a health issue. Friends, you need to take rightful joy in the blessing of the coming of the marriage supper of the Lamb and anticipate Advent this season because you can know this Scripture records it, and you can know for sure it's going to happen as a follower of the Lord. So, this anticipating Advent, let me unpack a little bit what would happen culturally during that time. All right, culturally during that time, it wasn't sort of like, hey, just a one time thing. Hey, here, save the date, everybody show up, we're going to spend about two hours and spend tons of money on you, uh, so you can celebrate our wedding. There's going to be more than that, because Scripture seems to reflect on this whole marriage theme, analogy, and the way it was culturally at that time. And so the marriage supper of the Lamb actually has some parts to it leading up to that final culmination of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The three parts of a Jewish cultural wedding, the first was the marriage contract, what began the betrothal period. And a lot of times they were arranged marriages, right? So uh, the bride's parents and the bridegroom's parents would sort of get together and, and make a decision, and they would both sign a marriage contract that their kids were going to connect and be married and live life happily, happily ever after, right? And so there was the signing of the contract that began the betrothal period. And what happened was the two, the bride, the future bride and the future bridegroom, they would not come together, but they would live separate, but they would be betrothed to one another. In fact, it was such an intense kind of contract that if you broke the betrothal, which we would refer to today as engagement. They referred to it as a divorce. That's why when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant during the betrothal period, he contemplating divorced her, but he couldn't divorce her as we think divorce because they weren't married yet, right? No, the betrothal was as serious as if you were already married. Even though you lived in separate houses, you hadn't come together uh, sexually or physically, their betrothal period was serious. The contract had been signed. This is going to happen. So the first step, in the whole wedding journey was this beginning of the betrothal period. The second step was there was a torchlight parade. It was actually probably almost like a year later. And a, a year later, the bridegroom uh, would get all his guys together, you know, and I don't know, weddings I grew up in, you had a couple, three guys, a couple, three men. But today, I've seen wedding parties that extend almost like 12 deep on both sides because I guess you got so many friends or you can't make decisions to offend someone to not have them a part of your wedding party. I don't know how it gets so big, but maybe it's for the celebration of it, right? So there's a huge wedding party. So the bridegroom, he comes and he gets all of his guys together and he says, hey man, tonight's not, we are going to be heading to the bride." Uh, the bride's house. And so they do it around midnight and they get their torches lit and they're doing a parade through the town on their way from the bridegroom's parents' house to the bride's uh, parents' house. And this parade is, is sort of some hooping and hollering or, or it's like, oh my gosh, it's happening, it's happening, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And they would get there and the bride was not unaware of this. The bride would know that this is going to happen. And so she's got her whole wedding party too, all of her bridesmaids and people and it's like they're coming they're coming they're coming and so they would come and they would arrive and then the bride and her party would take off following with this parade back to the bridegroom's place the place of where the wedding event kind of thing would be and so this was a big deal do you remember in the book of Matthew or the story of Matthew the parable of the ten virgins. 
The parable of the ten virgins is reflecting on this aspect that you need to be ready. And what you're ready for is because the bridegroom could come at any time. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. This is a story Jesus is telling, a parable in Matthew 25. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I didn't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Why is Jesus telling this story? He's telling this story because you got to be ready. You got, you got to be ready when the bridegroom comes. You can't be dilly-dallying around. You can't be a part of a, a parade with your lamps lit if you don't have any oil and get them going. So you got to be ready. So he tells this story, and it's embedded right here in this whole aspect of the drama that's, that's unfolded. So you have the marriage contract between the bride and the bridegroom's parents. And actually, there was what's called a dowry that came with that. It's like, you know, hey, in fact, we were joking about it around our table when I asked my father-in-law for the hand of my wife, Melissa, way back many years ago. How many years ago? That The first thing he said, well, what are you going to give me? He was kidding. Well, what's the dowry? Do I get a cow? Do I get a you know a hog? Or you know, it's like this idea of that. So they, they had made this mutual contract and it began the betrothal period. It was certain to happen. The dowry was given. The trading of the, I don't know what's all that involved. But then there was this year. And they were waiting. When is he going to come? And like the parable of the ten virgins, you know not when in one sense. But then he arrives. And you got to be ready. Because then you need to get up and you need to go with them. Because then they're going to have this parade. And then when they get there and all things, then the third part happens, which is the actual marriage supper itself. And this marriage supper wasn't like, hey, show up at 2 o'clock on this Saturday at this venue in wine country and we're all good for three or four hours. No, this was pack your bags. You're going to be staying somewhere for three or four days. This is a multi-day, week-long party celebration. And if, if any of you have been around, whether it's Middle Eastern or some Oriental kinds of celebrations of weddings, friends, they know how to do it upright. You think you had a pretty nice wedding here? Not, not compared to what they do. It just carries on. And so this is the, the mindset of what's happening with this imagery of the marriage supper of the Lamb that John's articulating. Let's read back through that verse then and pull out some points for us to be able to anticipate Advent today. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us, as we anticipate, rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. How? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Fine linen. Bright. Oh, and pure. For the fine linen is, what is it? It's the righteous deeds. The righteous deeds of the saints. The ones who are on the list. The ones who are part of the bride of Christ. His church. 
And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, Those are the true words of God. Now, if you took this analogy of the cultural context of a Jewish wedding, you could impose it upon an understanding of the second advent, the coming of Jesus Christ. Because of this you can be sure, this you can know, this is written down, and this is the true word of God. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a part of his future bride at that wedding. It is written down. It is guaranteed. It is a marriage contract. And what we're in during these years of our existence, post-conversion, waiting for the Lord's turn, or when we pass from this life to go be with Him, is the betrothal period. And a betrothal period requires purity. The betrothal period requires commitment. The betrothal period requires a set devotion in a certain direction, knowing you're headed towards this culmination of the marriage. So if we're going to anticipate Advent and we're in the betrothal period now, then there would be reason to examine our lives to see if we are living in accordance with that anticipated future day. Or are we just Passing time, hoping to get by, making ends meet, allowing the temporal things of this world to bring discouragement when we have this incredible eternal event that we're headed towards, that we're committed to, that we're in the period of awaiting and anticipating. Should it not change the trajectory of our life and how we live and how we worship, how we raise our children? how we go about being diligent in our careers, shouldn't all that we're doing during this betrothal period be defined by this future second advent that stands before us, the marriage supper of the Lamb? We're in the betrothal period called the church age. But the bridegroom's coming. The bridegroom's coming, and we need to be anticipating that coming of the bridegroom. Just like the ten virgins should have been anticipating the coming of the bridegroom to the house with the torches, the lanterns. He's coming. And in the context of prophecy, many refer to the coming with the torchlight parade as the rapture. And 1 Thessalonians 4 says all creation is waiting patiently and hopefully for that future day when God will resurrect his children. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout and with the soul-stirring cry of the archangel and the great trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will be first to rise to meet the Lord. Then we who are alive will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the sky and so shall we remain with him forever. The reference of the rapture in certain biblical contexts or prophecies, is the coming down of the bridegroom to receive to himself the bride, the church. And that can happen at any moment. Now, there's a lot of debate. Is the rapture truly that kind of dimension? Is there a tribulation period before? Is it in the middle? Or how does all that? You can play all the, politi- I mean, all the politics of uh, prophecy that you want, but here's the reality. There's nothing in Scripture that doesn't keep the bridegroom from coming back today. And so there's an anticipation and a readiness that needs to be a part of our life today. Today, not not sleeping, not letting the oil go out in our lamps, but we're anticipating this coming of the bridegroom to receive to himself the bride. And then you can go into a lot of other um, uh, study of Scripture and debating with different people, like really what, so we're caught up with them. The reason that, that Paul said that in Thessalonians, you don't want to know why he said that in Thessalonians, because he was really weary of Christians sitting around and, and debating this and sort of not doing anything or thinking, well, who's going to go first or whatever? And he says, hey, listen, here's the reality. 
The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up with them in the clouds, and so shall we meet the Lord with the air. So do not debate this. Do not be lollygagging around. Do not be holding back. You be ready. You be ready to go because the bridegroom's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to take us to be with him. Just as surely as when you die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus said to the other criminal on the criminal on, on the cross with him, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise because that criminal believed in Jesus. So absent from the body, present with the Lord. Yes, if you die first, there's this resurrection of the bodies. You can get into a lot of trying to unpack all that. But here's, here's the primary truth is that the bridegroom is coming. We're in the betrothal period, but the bridegroom is coming. And we need to be ready for that. And however it all gets unpacked, there's that third element then of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And some people say that's in heaven. Some people say that's in, on earth with the new Jerusalem. Here's all I know. Scripture's pretty adequate and clear about this. There's another place it references in the Gospels to go out into the highways and the byways in life and compel them to come in, to be at my supper table, to be at my dinner table. Jesus is anticipating a very large group of people around a very large table at a banquet celebrating the culmination of all the ages the age, the present age, will pass. And the age to come will be inaugurated. A new heaven and a new earth. If you're on the list, you get to be a part of it. There's nothing so discouraging this week, even the loss of a loved one, that should not inspire you to have that hope because of the second advent and what stands before us. And when he comes back, and we have that marriage supper of the Lamb. All wrongs will be made right. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The body that you have that's perishable will be clothed with a new body that will be imperishable. And so shall we live with the Lord forever. That's our hope. This, this, John, I want you to write this. Blessed, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's true. It's faithful. It'll happen. Guaranteed. So, on this Sunday after Thanksgiving, what should we do to anticipate the Advent? There's some keys in this passage. I mentioned them to you briefly. And then we're going to do something I don't think I've really ever done on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. The first is be found on the invitation list as part of the true bride of Jesus Christ. In other words, be saved. Sitting in church, having parents that uh, were Christians, going to a Christian college, none of that does you any good when it comes to being saved. To get on the list, you repent of your sins and you turn to become a Christ follower. As he enables, you ask him to come into your life. Have you made that decision? If not, today you can make that decision. It's not with grandiose prayers. It's with the disposition of the heart. Lord, I believe in you. I repent. I turn towards you. I want to live for you from this day forward, not only in this life, but in the life to come. I want to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb that begins and kicks off the new age to come. So be saved. The second is be centered on things eternal related to the second advent of Christ. In other words, be content. I was almost tempted to, to speak on the whole subject of contentment today because I find myself, it's hard for me to give thanksgiving and to enjoy when I'm always anxious about the next thing or what doesn't, hasn't been done yet or the next projects or what I don't have, right? There's contentment that needs to come and the contentment that needs to come in your life and mine, part of that comes by us being focused and centered on eternal things, 
concerning the second advent of Christ and not try to get everything out of this life. You know, the big word is existentialism, that they say existentialism. It means the here and now moment. This is all that really matters. You only go around once in life, so gain all the gusto you can kind of idea, right? It, 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 people live existentialistic. Well, if you don't have your name on the list, you don't have the anticipation of the advent, then you're going to try to squeeze everything out of this life. But if you got that coming and you're in the betrothal period and you know what's going to stand before you, maybe not the details of it, but the big event, you're going to be at it. It sort of right-sizes some of the temporal things and enables you to be content even if you don't have much. Because contentment doesn't have to do with possessions. Contentment has to come from the interior part of our life and being at one with God and what he's called us to be. So be saved, be content. A third is be passionate and worship to the Almighty who reigns over all of life. Be rejoicing when they were declaring, right? The Almighty who reigns, the one who reigns, sits on the throne not only of eternity and the universe, but sits on the throne of my life. I'm going to worship, and I'm going to worship passionately. That doesn't mean you jump up and down when we're singing or something like that. You can. That's all great. But there, there's this passionate devotion of worship that's a part of each and every day and all that you do. So be rejoicing, even when there are challenges. Be saved, be content, be rejoicing. Fourth, I, I just mentioned this, be clothed with righteousness with righteous acts, it says, in the here and now for God's kingdom. In other words, be active. And if, if I could try to package this real quick for you, there is a shift today that's happened, not just theologically, but pragmatically in local churches that says what you need to be doing as a believer is be active in bringing about the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom is the reign of God. You need to participate in, in good righteous acts, and there's no question you should be doing that. The righteous acts of, of justice and mercy for people, of, uh, in a rightful kind of sense, activism sometimes to be able to pursue that which is true and good and healthy for people. That's true. But friends, sometimes I get concerned what's happened in local churches is there's now been this shift away from anticipating the second advent to things focused so much on the here and now that we don't have that hope resident in our heart or the salvation message upon our tongue to share with people about the Lord's return and you need to be ready, you need the bridegroom's coming. And so there's a rightful balance about being active in the here and now with righteous acts. That's, that's putting on fine linens. That's putting on clothing. You are preparing yourself for the bridegroom coming. But the acts, even what we see as righteous acts of good deeds, do not get you on the list for eternity. There are no righteous deeds you can do to measure up to what a perfect heaven is. And so we acknowledge that we're sinners. We repent, believe in Christ, and we move towards the second advent, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and his righteousness that lives within us. And so when I show up at heaven's gate and I say, hey, I need to get into this wedding uh, deal, it's like, well, you're sort of got filthy garbs on. No, what is looked at is the righteousness of Christ dwells within me because I've invited him to come into my life. But in that, I do not want to negate this idea that we need to be active because the reason that we're in the context we are today, sometimes with local churches and this swing towards all the emphasis on the here and now righteous acts in our world is because there was an error in the evangelical church of people getting saved and then just doing whatever they wanted sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the Lord's return. And their lives were not exemplary of the righteous one who dwells within them. So let the righteous one who dwells within you live through you, be active, be clothed with righteous acts in the here and now for the kingdom of God. So that's number four, be saved, right? Be content, be rejoicing, be active. And then fifth, be blessed each day as you await the marriage supper of the Lamb. I wanted to say, be at peace. But the more I thought about it, it's more of be peaceable. Because that's coming, 
don't get so bent out of shape about the fallen nature of the world that's around you or the conflict that you're currently in in your home or with a friend. Be a peaceable person. Your salvation is coming. All wrongs will be made right. So how are we going to close? Well, normally, normally we have communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of the month. I'm going to do a change-up. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper right now. And so if the ushers would take their places in a second, I want us to prepare our heart of worship and I'm going to invite Chris Tomlin to come and lead us. A couple years ago, he came out with a Christmas album. If you're looking for some good Christmas music, find Chris Tomlin's Christmas album. May this heart prepare us. And if you're on the list, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as the ushers come, I want you to grab one of the elements, hold it, and then we're going to anticipate taking the Lord's communion together in anticipation of when he comes. But... Chris will lead us as the elements are passed. The Lord our God Almighty reigns. I don't know. Can, can you catch just a glimpse, just a glimpse, of what that final day will be like? I'm sure we'll have Chris Tomlin sing then too. But all the hosts through all the generations People gathered around the marriage supper of the Lamb. People celebrating. People worshiping the one who reigns. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says this, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until the marriage supper of the Lamb. Until He comes again. And so this morning, as we anticipate the Advent in four weeks. May we have a spirit of expectation in our hearts that matches what they have. And may it be fueled by our anticipation of the second advent of the time when Christ will come again. So with that, I invite you to take the bread. The bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you and I. At that last supper, he took the bread saying, this is my body which is broken for you. And he foretold what would happen to his very body that week. And as we remember today, the Lord sharing those words around the Last Supper, may we partake remembering the marriage supper that stands before us. You may take of the bread in remembrance of Him. Lord Jesus, on that night that you were betrayed, we remember you. 
But Lord, we also anticipate your coming again. And Lord, we're mindful that the dowry that the Father paid through your life was the shedding of your blood for the remission of sins. The pouring out of your life so that we may have life. And so, Lord, with the cup in hand, we thank you, not only for your body that was broken, but for your blood that was shed. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may take of the cup. I'm going to ask the ushers if they'd take their places again to bring the baskets to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. And also as a part of our anticipation and our celebration this month, um, we have a Christmas year-end offering that we're asking everybody to lavishly give to as an act of worship for Him. Some of you have been trying to think in terms of, well, what do I get for so-and-so? What do I get for so-and-so? Well, what you get for the bridegroom is you give your life. And there's different things in our life that represent us giving our life away. And one of those has to do with sometimes the resources God entrusts us with to give to him. So ushers come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards. And uh, we will um, walk in to this season of Christmas, the Advent season, with hearts anticipating, hearts anticipating His coming, remembering His first coming, anticipating His second coming. We live between the times, the betrothal period of the first Advent and the second Advent for His glory and for His praise. Next week's a special week. We have an opportunity to hear from Pastor Oliver next week, but I also have the opportunity to be able to do something we've not done for a while at this church, and that is there are a set number of families that are going to be dedicating their children to the Lord. And I think it's a beautiful time of year for us to be focused on kids, don't you think? And so come back next week, invite your friends as we begin to move through the month of December as we worship him. Will you stand with me? Now may you go with hope. Hope that overrides all trauma in life. The hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the one who is the hope of the world. And may that hope carry you through this season with a spirit of expectation and worship to glorify Him. Go in action indeed as you worship Him this week. God bless.